Uh, we're continuing with our series on the book of Joshua, um, and this is week eight. <clears throat> I've entitled the message, Is God on Your Side? <clears throat> Have you ever wondered if God was really on your side? you really have his presence in your life? Have you ever asked, is God really for me? It sure seems like he's for a lot of other people, but it doesn't feel like he's for me. Can you relate to that? The question is, is it even right to wonder if God is on your side? Is that even a legitimate question? I mean, if you think about it, and this might surprise some of you, if you think about it, it's actually a preposterous question. I mean, if we truly believe our Jesus is in control, why would we bother to question whose side he is on? To be more direct, if we truly follow the lamb wherever he goes, is it even appropriate for us to have our own side? Look, of course... We prefer, perhaps we even expect sometimes, that God's side will align with our side. That God's plan will somehow mesh with our perspective of what should be a good plan for us. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you today that we need, and we're going to learn from this passage in Joshua today, we need a different perspective. Especially in the light of this daily battle that followers of Jesus are in, this battle between evil and righteousness. Because I think that wondering and questioning what side Jesus is on, it really, that wonderment, that question becomes irrelevant when you consider the stakes of the daily battle that we face. What if I told you as a follower of Jesus that your side is irrelevant? What if I told you as followers of Jesus you can't have a side. Expecting God to be on your side is not appropriate. The only question is, am I on your side, Jesus? That's the question. Ultimately, followers of Jesus don't have a side anymore. We abandoned our side when we chose, through his grace and mercy and the enlightenment of his Holy Spirit, when we chose to follow him. For followers of Jesus, there is only one side that prevails, only one side that leads to victory, and that is his side. So let's read Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And the man said, no. In other words, neither. <laughs> but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. ...here with Joshua when he runs into this commander. <clears throat> so he asked the question, you know, hey, commander, the guy with the drawn sword, are you for us or are you against us? That's the title of the historical section. So Joshua and the nation of Israel are at a pivotal moment in their history. They cross the Jordan River. They find themselves on the precipice of the promised land. A sense of renewal and divine presence permeates the atmosphere as they have reinstated, as we learned last week, they've reinstated the sacred symbols of their covenant with God. The ritual symbols of circumcision, which stands for baptism, 
and Passover, the Lord's table for us. They have their first significant military challenge coming probably the next day. It's the conquest of the great city of Jericho. Jericho isn't the largest city in the land of Canaan, but it has this reputation for its towering walls and its formidable defenses. Most nations, most armies wouldn't have even bothered to invade Jericho, especially an unseasoned force like Israel has at this, this time. But here's the problem. Conquering Jericho is going to be critical for their first step if they're going to be successful. Success is crucial by conquering Jericho, ensuring they won't have attacks from behind as they go through deeper into the promised land. Taking this first city, cool thing that they have to do, not just militarily, but also psychologically. The Canaanites are already afraid. We've learned that in past weeks. The Canaanites are already afraid of Israel. This would cement their fears if they destroy one of the most well-fortified cities in the world. It would also be a huge morale boost and even further affirmation that God is with them for the people of Israel. Controlling Jericho would also provide that strategic access to the central and southern parts of Canaan. I can imagine, though, since it's such an important task, right, that Joshua is wrestling with it the night before. The weight of his responsibility is starting hitting him. Oh, no, I'm leading God's people into the most important battle in our history. He's pacing. He's worrying. I mean, after all, he's still human. (laughs) And despite all the tangible signs of God's presence and favor that he's already given to them, he can feel the pressure of the forthcoming battle starting to mount on his shoulders. Walking, he's pacing around, as the scripture says, the outskirts of Jericho, strategizing. He's deep in thought, seeking divine guidance. He's praying, okay, this battle's coming. I know you said you're with me and I believe it, God, but man, this is going to be hard. These walls are massive. They're huge. They're thick. And while he's in deep contemplation, he looks up and he's startled by a figure that appears before him, an unexpected, intimidating sight of a man of war. And this man's formidable appearance suggests he is not someone you'd want to face on the battlefield. (laughs) This man's description is as a military commander. And so it begs Joshua's first question. Are you fighting with us? Are you fighting with them? I'd like to know. The problem is Joshua's question reveals he doesn't know yet who this man is. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked that question. Joshua's question would be something more like, what do you want me to do? Just tell me. On Jericho's side, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I'm not here to help Israel. I'm here to fight the battle for them with the army of God. See, the question isn't what side he's on. The question is, which side is Israel on? And Joshua makes it clear what side he's on because immediately once this guy says, look, I'm just the commander of the army of the Lord, Joshua falls flat on his face and worships him. He immediately recognized that this was the divine authority who has chosen to appear before him. And man, did he not ever need that on a night like this. And he's filled with this mixture of awe and and reverence and, and worship. And perhaps even more importantly now, as he's laying face first on the ground, confidence. The commander tells Joshua to take his sandals off. 
This is another beautiful connection, by the way, affirming, don't worry, Joshua, I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. Look at Exodus chapter 3. Bring that back. God called out to the bushes. Or God called to him out of the bush. This is what Moses went to the burning bush. Moses, Moses, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. See, the biblical concept of holy ground is always a reference to the place where God's presence is manifested. The patch of ground is not special, even though, humanly speaking, we like to venerate patches of ground. They're not to be venerated once God's presence is not there. It's who is standing on the patch of ground that made it holy, not the ground itself. All right, that's the history. Look at the theology of this passage. I've entitled this Commander Jesus. Look, I'm not going to bury the obvious lead here. This commander who appears to Joshua, you guess it, it's our Jesus, no doubt. It's an Old Testament manifestation of our Jesus, and I have proof. There's a lot of ways I could prove it, but the easiest is the one that we're probably most familiar with. There are several beautiful, undeniable links between Joshua and the book we just studied, Revelation. So as I was studying this passage this week, I, I actually kind of personally became obsessed with these links to John in the book of Revelation and what Joshua saw. Specifically, I'm talking about John's interaction with Jesus throughout Revelation, starting in chapter 1. Here's the first link. I want you to see both these people that appear, the one that appears to John and the one that appears to Joshua, have a sword for judgment. In Joshua, the commander of the Lord's army holds a drawn sword representing pending judgment for Jericho. In Revelation, John says, one appeared to me, looked like the son of man. He had a sharp double-edged sword out of his mouth, his word. The one, by the way, he will use one day when he returns to judge all evil. We've studied that. Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, look at this verse. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the shining sun in full strength. So that's the first link we see. They both have a sword. There's another link. They both caused the person they appeared to to have humble worship. Joshua's instinctive reaction to the presence of the commander is to fall to his face in worship because he recognizes finally, oh my goodness, this is more than just a soldier. This is God. And this was not... You know, like what we do on Sunday morning, this was not a planned worship service for Joshua. <laughs> this is instinctive, it's reactive, it's worship to an unexpected encounter with Jesus. You know, John had the same exact instinct when Jesus appeared to him in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. Look at this verse. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and hell. By the way, as you, as a follower of Jesus, have you ever experienced this phenomenon of instinctive, unplanned worship? You know, Followers of Jesus can understand this, but you know it's not natural, right? Like people who don't follow Jesus or people who haven't been called out of darkness into light by his truth, they don't have instinctive, natural, reverent worship for God. Unplanned. Only followers of Jesus can understand this phenomena that John and Joshua experienced. 
You want more proof? Look at this. Later in chapter 22, John is overwhelmed. It's near the end of the book, and he's overwhelmed by everything that he's been shown throughout the whole book of Revelation. And he fell on the same way to his face to an angel. Look what the angel says in Revelation 22. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he, the angel, said to me, you must not do that. I am just a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. God. See, the angel tells John, don't worship me. I'm just an angel. The commander does not say that to Joshua, does he? Because he's Jesus. He's the same Jesus John saw in Revelation chapter 1. And he allows both men to follow their instinct to worship him. And then there's a third important link. There is an important commission given to both men. Both Joshua and John receive assurance, right? Because, okay, wow, this is God and he's here. That's pretty comforting. Joshua is assured that, okay, Jericho is going to fall because the commander is going to lead the fight. John is assured because he knows now how God's kingdom will triumph over evil in the end, what we studied for the last year. And both experience a surprising, breathtaking, unplanned encounter with Jesus that results in their instinctive, humble worship. And now they're both, John and Joshua, filled with confidence after they've met with Jesus. They're both given an important commission that they have to fulfill. For Joshua, he is to lead Israel to victory in the battle of Jericho. And we will learn, by the way, in a couple of weeks, that went pretty well. And Jesus also gave John a commission. He said, I want you to write down everything that you're about to be shown so that everyone who reads it from now on will be what? Blessed. And we knew over the last year in our own study, that went well too, didn't it? We were certainly blessed in our Revelation series. So that's the theological, what did God do in this passage? I want to look at the personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do? The title of this section is Followers of Jesus Don't Have a Side. This was the sermon preview this week. <clears throat> when facing a challenge, do you want God on your side or do you want to be on his? Now, I had several people comment in different outlets of social media, both. <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but this connection between these two encounters with Jesus are the key to understanding our personal connection right here, right now, this morning. See, once Joshua saw who was really leading the battle, and it wasn't him, Joshua knew everything is going to be just fine. And once John received that beautiful revelation of Jesus, I imagine he began writing it down. He didn't say, yeah, that's some good stuff. I'll start writing tomorrow. He started writing it down furiously as fast as he could. I wanted to remember everything. I got to get it. Like he's inspired to write the book of Revelation. And look, obviously, we aren't Joshua and we aren't John. We haven't had the privilege of seeing Jesus face to face like they did. But as followers of Jesus, we have met him. The Jesus they met is the same Jesus that you met when he called you out of darkness into light and enabled you to have the desire, the instinctive, humble desire to follow him wherever he goes. When you met Jesus, 
by the way, it wasn't just so he could forgive your sins. Although that's cool. It wasn't just so that he could straighten your life out, although that may happen for some. It wasn't even, he didn't call you, you didn't meet him just so that you could go to heaven when you die. Although that's cool. It's better than the alternative. When you met Jesus, you were also given a commission to follow your commander wherever he goes with the gospel to all nations. That's the side. Look at this quote from Abraham Lincoln. My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. So this, this was a quote when he was asked, do you think God's on your side in this civil war? And that was his response. You know, sadly, most of our politicians pathetically don't get this. I don't care what side they're on. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. You know, it's so easy. It's so easy for us to assume that God is following behind us. That he is with us to help us fulfill our plans and our dreams. It's so easy to assume the things that we believe are the best for us and for our country. That they're all, those things that we believe are the best, are certainly part of his will. We make this assumption on a personal level, and we also fall into thinking this way on a larger scale, even nationally. It's sort of like we, in our minds, we begin to manipulate God's side into our side, and we assume, well, the things we want are certainly what God wants. Why? It's quite bizarre, really, isn't it? Assuming that our side is the same as God's side? I mean, if you think about it, when we as followers of Jesus realize that we don't have a side, can you see how much of a relief that actually becomes? Do you follow what I'm saying here? Like when you recognize, you know what? In this life, I don't have a side anymore. Whew. Because it's exhausting, honestly, constantly concerned if your side is winning or losing, especially when you consider who we're actually up against. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at this passage. We are not waging a war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, strongholds like Jericho. So our commission that we received when we met Jesus puts us, listen carefully, it puts us right in the middle of this battle between righteousness and evil. And listen to me. Followers of Jesus. A soldier doesn't ask his commander what side he's on. He just follows him. Followers of Jesus understand that we are powerless to fight that war. But by his grace and mercy, our commander has graciously placed us on his side through faith. Remember, remember what God said to Joshua? 
He would be with Joshua wherever he goes. Remember that? That was pretty cool. Well, guess what? He showed up right here, did he not? Remember he told us the same thing when, he, when we received our commission? He said, go into all the nations and I will be with you always to the end of the age. And guess what? He shows up every day. Now, it's a good thing too, right? Because our commission is a really difficult one. Just like with Joshua and John, there's a massive uncertainty and hardships around it and associated with our commission. And look, he, he doesn't show up like he did with Joshua with a drawn sword. But he does show up by his spirit, through his word, and through his people. You need all three, by the way. The power of his word is our shield. The power of his spirit is our confidence. The power of his people is what inspires us to follow him together in community wherever he goes. Following your commander is a team sport. See, following the lamb wherever he goes means that we aren't concerned if God is on our side. We make sure we are on his. We know the one we follow is holding the sword. And even though we haven't seen him face to face, what do we do? We worship him. Okay, Matthew chapter 12. Look at this one. Jesus said this. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. That is a deep phrase. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. It doesn't just mean gather around him. It means gathers others with him. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. If you're not part of the Great Commission, you're working against it. Let me say it again. If you're not part of the Great Commission, you're working against it. Man, what we have learned in today's passage really puts what Jesus says here in a whole new light, doesn't it? That's some serious stuff right there. There's no room for your side. (laughs) Because those of us who have truly met him, if you've truly met our Jesus, you understand what that humble reverence for him means, don't you? You felt it, you've had it. And look, it's not reverence that is born out of fear or anxiety. It's a sense of humility born out of the immensity of our gratitude that he has called us out of darkness into light to his side. Because your humble worship, inspired by the day you met him, listen to me, it's your humble worship that will cure you from the cancer of your narcissistic obsession with your side. It's that humble worship that inspires you to abandon your side and run to his side and follow him wherever he goes. So now, if we worship him in this way, even though we haven't seen him face to face, Can you imagine our response the day we do? You know, Jesus says, blessed are those who haven't seen me yet and follow me. We're more blessed than Joshua and John. There will come a day 
when we do see Jesus. Just as Joshua did near Jericho and as John did on the Isle of Patmos. He will be holding that sword of his word. He will use it to end the age-old war between good and evil once and for all. And in that moment, there's no doubt that we will all fall to our faces before him, overjoyed, overwhelmed by his breathtaking presence. Until then, the power of his word will be our shield. His spirit will be our confidence and his people. This family will be our inspiration. Until then, we will follow our commander wherever he leads into all nations with the gospel. You know why? Because that's his side and we no longer have a side. So don't ask anymore, is God on my side? Bad question. Am I on God's side? Good question. Dear Jesus, there are so many things competing for us. Our attention, what side we're going to be on. Lord, we need the courage and inspiration from you, from your word, your spirit, and your people to abandon our side. Lord, help us to recognize as followers of, of you that we no longer need the burden, the anxiety of wondering if our side's going to win or our side's going to lose because we have your side, which is the winning side. Lord, give us a renewed mind that understands this powerful truth. And Lord, miraculously, by your spirit, by your word, for those who are struggling with this whole your side versus their side, Lord, enlighten them. Show them the truth of what you've done for them on the cross. Show them the gospel so that they can have the gift of faith, so that they can have the, the courage, the desire to abandon their side and come to yours. And then lastly, Jesus, please keep us on your side. Don't let us wander as we are prone to. Don't let us turn around and look for our side again. Keep us close by your spirit, by your word, and by your